Hey everybody, Joel here, calling to you live from the middle of the Frankenstorm 2012. I got some good news and some bad news. First, the good news. Good news is we've officially been nominated for the 2012 Podcast Awards. And that's all thanks to you. Head on over to podcastawards.com on November 1st and vote for us in the movie category. Now for the bad news. As you may or may not know, the East Coast is being bad by apocalyptic level storms. So, yes, that bad world headquarters might not survive the week. Tune in next week to find out if we're still alive. The following podcast will contain spoilers and explicit language. Hello and welcome to episode 93 of Yeah, It's That Bad. My name is Joel. I'm Martin. And I'm Kevin. This is the show that looks at supposedly bad movies and asks the question, is it really that bad? And what that boils down to is that we look at movies that are Ron or Ron Tomatoes and reevaluate that score. Does it really deserve to be that low? Tonight's movie is 2010's The Human Centipede. First sequence. Directed by Tom Six. Starring Dieter Laser, Ashley C. Williams, Ashlyn Yenny, and Akahiro Kitamura. The Human Centipede. Centipede for a sequence is a 2010 Dutch horror film. This movie currently holds a 50% on Rotten Tomatoes. How about a plot synopsis? Americans, Lindsay and Jenny are on a vacation traveling through Europe. In Germany, they meet a waiter who invites them to a party in a nightclub called Bunker. They rent a car, but they get lost on a lonely road in the woods. When they have a flat tire, they do not replace the tire and prefer to seek help for instead. <laughs> They reach a house where they are received by a psychopathic mad scientist named Joseph Hater, who drugs them. When Lindsay and Jenny awake, they find that they are tied to a bed in a laboratory in a basement of a house. Sooner, Dr. Hater brings a Japanese tourist named Katsuro and introduces himself as a former surgeon specialized in separating Siamese twins. Further, he details his insane project of creating a human centipede by joining three human beings through their mouths and anuses. Okay, the human centipede. This movie was sponsored by Nathan and Nathan writes in and says, I have listened to almost every episode at least once, so donating was the least I could do. I am paying $75 here to buy the full three-man crew for this doozy. The Human Centipede first sequence. With a Rotten Tomatoes rating right at 50%, this is a movie that sits at the frontier of good and bad, awaiting your final judgment. This movie grossed me out, but I give the creators and directors credit for a creative concept and the lead villain actor does a pretty good job, I thought. Anyway, this movie has a certain place in my heart. For laughs, I used to try and make my friends watch this and they were always horrified. Now, I have the ultimate captive audience. Thanks for the podcast and keep up the great work, Nathan. Okay. Okay, the human centipede first sequence. What's your issue with this? Joel, we saw this movie together. Yep. Hands in hand, arm in arm. Uh, yeah, it was uh, It was a great date night movie. Mouth to ass? Yeah, yeah mouth to M. A to M. No, it was great. I mean, we had this movie built up, I remember. We thought that it was going to be something. Well, we didn't build up. The, the internet and the media as a whole was going hog wild, right? They were going nuts over this movie at the time. They were. I thought that I was going to get something legitimately groundbreaking. We almost saw this in the theater. Remember, I was playing at the IFC Center? Yeah, we almost went. We almost went like we almost went dangerously close i've i don't think i've ever had a good experience at the ifc no, that place is a pit yeah kevin what's your history with this i've never seen this before i never had any desire to see it and thanks a lot nathan you knew what now it was though right yeah i mean i heard about it but it sounded pretty sick yeah by the way disclaimer spoiler alert this movie deals with some gross <laughs> content <laughs> so if you're easily offended by gross content i highly recommend that you don't listen to this <laughs> 
No, but seriously, this is pretty some gross stuff in this, right? Yeah, I ate my lunch immediately before I turned this on. Yeah, me too. I was chowing down before I, I watched this. Yeah, I felt kind of gross after after <laughs> watching this after I ate. Ate poo-poo platter? Yeah. Yeah, I was just eating Babe Ruth's the entire time I was eating this. <laughs> Snickers. <laughs> Chewed up Snickers. Babe Ruth's. I was, just, I was like, mmm. <laughs> Nougat. Oh, there's a peanut here. Okay, let's do what we always do at the top of the show. We'll discuss the actors one by one, and we'll see how you thought they did. Okay, first up, Dieter Laser. He was the villain of this movie. This is our, is this the first time Dieter Laser has actually been on this show? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I know, he's... (laughs) The triumphant debut! Yeah, (laughs) How do you think he did? I thought that he was really creepy. He did what he was supposed to do. And and this movie, for me, I'm taking it as a B movie. That's how I'm choosing to view this movie this time around. First time, I didn't. The first time, I thought that it was going to be like a legitimate, like, <laughs> artistic, groundbreaking horror movie. And that's not really what it is. thought that he did well in that context. He definitely has the Jose Canseco jawline. That's a fact. <laughs> Yeah, this guy was, I thought this guy was really good. He creeped the hell out of me, and that's exactly what he was supposed to do. No, I agree with you. He is the best thing in this movie, right? Th- this by, guy by is the far. reason you see this thing, because he's an interesting villain. He's very imposing, creepy guy. Great job. Yeah, really yeah. good. Accolades. Okay, and we can lump the two girls together into one, right? Can we get away with that? Yeah, sure. You okay with that, Kevin? Yeah, I'm okay. What a sexist pig. <laughs> <laughs> he knows my idea. <laughs> Okay, Ashley C. Williams and Ashlyn Yanni. It's probably better we lump them together because we probably won't be able to figure out who's who anyway. Yeah. They we were, have a problem with that on this show. We keep messing this up. Yeah. They were abysmal. Their line delivery was laughable. Oh, you were laughing? You were cracking up? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was cracking wise during this entire movie. The best thing to happen to them in this movie was to get their mouths so <laughs> so it couldn't be used anymore for speech. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty good. Yeah, they were terrible. I thought they were super, super, super obnoxious, but that was the point, right? That was the point. I, that's that's. Was the, it the point? Yeah. Why are we supposed to hate the people? <laughs> In the beginning of the movie, that eventually we're supposed to be rooting for. No, but that's you rooting for them. I'm rooting for Doctor. Rooting for Laser in this yeah, movie. Doctor Laser. Doctor Laser. That, he's Doctor Laser now. <laughs> His name is Doctor Laser. <laughs> I'm gonna put forth that he's a super smart American gladiator. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, him and Dr. Nitro went to war with the med school together. Yeah, Malibu was there dancing around. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm going to say that these kind of movies, like, I think they want you to hate these people. They so, do, because they're sacrificial lambs. That's their purpose. I don't understand that, though. I think that this movie as a whole, I get maybe we can talk about this later, but they want you to root for this concept of the human centipede. They want you to be like, yeah, they, they want you to be with the doctor. I think that's why they wait till 45 minutes into the movie to actually get into making the human centipede. That's like, it's all about the concept and right. the, the, that's all that the director cares about. And these people are just throwaways and they're annoying. They're super obnoxious. Well, yeah, then, but that's a problem I have with it. Then you want to love They the were people. in love with the idea of it and didn't care then about trying to make us get involved in the movie. Okay. 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 This movie isn't focused on character development. That's a fact. He like, didn't it, make it for you. He made it for himself. That's a little frank converter for you right there. Anyway, finally, Akihiro Kitamura. Uh, this guy was speaking in Japanese the entire time, but he was pretty damn good. He was, he was 
good. He was way better than the the two American actresses, I thought. Oh, yeah. He had me laughing. I was moving and grooving in my seat, giggling. It's good stuff. He had some... He taught me things about Japanese culture that I had no idea about. <laughs> me too. You know what? His last line delivery in this movie was emotionally... It was probably the most emotional thing. That's not saying much, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you were reduced to tears. Yeah, I was reduced to Blubbering. a puddle of <laughs> crying shame. He, he was good, man. He had me feeling for him at the end. I was like, all right, you made me feel something in this movie. So this is a Dutch movie. Yeah. It's a Dutch oven. The two most unlikable characters in this whole movie are the two girls. We can all agree on that. Correct. They're two Americans. Absolutely. Is this the Dutch view of America? It's my view of American women. <laughs> <laughs> That's staying in. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't make Americans look good. Hey, why not? I mean, we do the same thing to them all the time in our stupid movies. Why not? Okay, okay, that's fine, but... But yeah. USA. Yeah, I, I took offense. USA. Oh, yeah, USA. USA. All right. <laughs> By the way, I just want to point out, Tom Six, the director, that's a hell of a name. Awesome name. Love that name. Tom Six. It's like a robot. Yeah. He could pilot through the danger zone for sure. Tommy Six, riding on your wing. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, let's get into the history of the human centipede first sequence. (laughs) According to Six, the concept of the film arose from a joke he made with friends about punishing a child molester by stitching his mouth to the anus of a fat truck driver. Six also stated that inspiration for the film came from Nazi medical experiments carried out during World War II, such as the crimes of Joseph Mengele of the Auschwitz concentration camp. When approaching investors prior to filming, Six did not mention the mouth-to-anus aspect of the plot, fearing it would put off potential backers. The financiers of The Human Centipede did not discover the full nature of the film until it was complete. The film received mixed reviews from mainstream film critics, but it won several accolades at international film festivals. Six includes many horror film cliches in the first act, such as a broken down car, lack of a phone signal, and very naive victims. Six did this in an attempt to lull audiences into thinking they were watching a conventional horror film, therefore making Dr. Heiter's treatment of his victims more shocking. The Nazi influence behind Heiter led to the use of classical music when the doctor is training his centipede. The music is deliberately played at low quality to simulate the music coming from a loudspeaker in much the same way as music was sometimes played in Nazi concentration camps. Six stated that he wanted the film to be as authentic as possible and claimed to have consulted a Dutch surgeon during the creation of the film's process, resulting in the film being 100% medically accurate. Six said that the surgeon initially wanted nothing to do with the film as he felt Six was crazy and the idea had nothing to do with medical science. However, the surgeon changed his mind and decided that he in fact <laughs> liked the idea and so came up with a method of creating a human centipede. You know what? On second thought, instead of completely hating it, I love it. Yeah, put my name on it. Put my name. <laughs> Sign me on. Six has claimed that the central and rear members of the centipede could survive for years by supplementing their diet with an IV drip. Despite mixed reviews, the film won several awards in 2009, which by the way, a, a lot of conflicting stuff. Wikipedia says this movie came out in 2010. Uh, other places say 2009. I neither know nor care. I'm just going to go with 2010 because Wikipedia never lies, right? It's not like you can just go on there and make stuff up, right? I, I, That's I my completely experience. agree yeah. with you. In 2009, during advanced screenings at various international film festivals, including Best Picture slash Best Movie at Fantastic Fest in Austin, Texas, 
Texas, Scream Fest Horror Film Festival Los Angeles, and the St. Maxime International Horror Film Festival. Laser won Best Actor in the Horror category at Fantastic Fest, and the film won the award for Best Ensemble Cast at the South African Horror Fest Film Festival. Some scenes of the movie are so controversial, some people walked out during test screenings. A number of parodies of the film have been made, a pornographic parody directed by Leroy Myers and about that. titled The Human Sextipede, was released in September 2010. It starred Tom Byron as Heiter, who joined three people mouth to genitals. That sounds exciting. <laughs> we should watch that as research for this film. People are complaining we don't do enough research on this show. Why aren't we watching that now? Okay, The Human Centipede. So this movie starts off with a nice little cold open. We get our, our hero slash villain doctor. He's sitting in a car on the side of the Autobahn, I guess. And what's he doing, Kevin? He's taking a look at some pictures of dogs. He's got this picture of a dog and he's looking at it. Then he pulls out another picture and there's three dogs and they're all connected like a, like a sausage. This sets the tone for the movie for me. He's cry. He's reduced to tears while he's kind of like diddling this picture. He's like tickling it. Yeah. He's crying and I'm laughing. I can't like that sets the tone. This movie is funny now. It's not. <laughs> it, it is a B horror movie. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's what the director wants, right? That's what this is. This is like an over the top absolutely horror like dark what, comedy what really set the tone for me like what let me know that this was a b movie is the way the slow pan in the beginning that shows the highway across like that's like okay this is a b movie like that's what this is going for i just thought he was a creepy dude creeper in a car crying <laughs> yeah pretty good i mean like he the, even the way he moves like he moves all stiff covers his the gun that he walks down in his jacket like a vampire covering it with his cloak he looks completely ridiculous yeah why don't you describe what this doctor looks like so he's an older guy what do you think like in his 60s that's a good guess 59 60 this guy's timeless he's beautiful he's very very slender but he looks fit he is very stiff and i'm wondering if that was to go along with the whole nazi theme right because like you think of nazis you think of like this yeah. stiff marching and stuff like that because that's kind of the way he moved he definitely looks a little crazy that's for sure well this guy's in his car and he's looking at his picture of his dogs and he's crying and then this trucker pulls up behind him and this had me laughing and laughing he bursts out of his truck and he's got a roll of toilet paper with him and he just runs into the woods like i know what this guy's doing interesting way to start your movie it reminded me of the charmin bear where they're like they have the toilet paper in the yeah. woods and they just they're like all right i'm taking a dump right here let me ask you a question you're a trucker you got to take a dump yeah you're gonna pull over on the side of the road do you do it right where another car is parked i do it on the roof of the car i just <laughs> Well, here's the thing, Wouldn't though. you find some privacy? I'd imagine that truckers are, like, hardened and jaded. They don't care. They got a job to do. Maybe. Maybe. That doesn't mean that truckers don't have morals. No, they're inhuman monsters. <laughs> Listen, if, if over the top has taught me anything, truckers have a solid steel code of ethics. Yeah, the greatest arm wrestling movie ever made. <laughs> I would have I gone over some for some privacy instead of pulling up right behind that other car. Kevin, you ever get hit by a trucker bomb? Kevin, you've seen over the top. Truckers are hard. I've never seen over the top. You've seen over the top. Truckers eat... <laughs> <laughs> A trucker in that movie just eats a cigar. He just eats it. That's how rough and hardened these men are. They have no, a rough... tr- truckers are real men. They're not babies like podcasters. Exactly. 
They are legit men. So if you if they want to take a dump in the woods, you know, you get out of their way. Roll out the red carpet for them. Yeah. <laughs> Roll out the red carpet for a man to take a dump in the woods. <laughs> so this guy's going to the bathroom and our hero slash villain, Dr. Heiter, he's, he's tiptoeing behind him. He pulls out this rifle as if this was Jurassic Park or something. He shoots him with a tranquilizer dart, mm-hmm. puts him down. Shocking stuff, right, for a movie. They don't show him dragging the guy back to the car, but that probably took a while. And Truckers probably smelled bad. That trucker looked like he was three times the size of this guy who was supposedly dragging his dead limp body. Yeah. Yeah, the trucker looked like he weighed, he was pushing mid 200s. In the middle of the day. You know, the first time I saw this movie, I thought it was directed poorly, that it was a cheap looking movie. No, I I see this now and this whole scene here with the doctor shooting this trucker in the back, I thought this looked really good. Like the lighting, the outdoor lighting and the way when the the doctor shoots the trucker, the sun kind of like blooms out and totally obscures him in light. Mm-hmm. I thought that looked great. Good cinematography stuff going on there. I think this whole movie was shot well. Yeah, this entire movie was very purposely shot and it looked good. I mean, sure. I It didn't lack for style. Alright, so Im- immediately after this we cut to our two heroines, question mark, the stars of the picture, the two American girls. They're in a hotel room. One of them's chatting it up on the phone, gonna meet up with someone for a uh, night of dancing in Europe. You know, Euro trip. Yeah, I mean, if I've learned anything from movies, it's Don't two, go to Europe. two young American girls for a night out in Europe, nothing can go wrong. Okay, so... What's that? No one knows you're here? No. <laughs> <laughs> what could possibly go wrong? Unless your father is Liam Neeson. Ah, oh, there you go. You don't do it. There you right? go. There you don't go. stay away from Europe. <laughs> so the car has flat tires that are stuck on the side of the road. This other car comes up. They roll down the window and there's this slovenly looking German guy smoking a cigar. He starts yapping German to them, talking about how he has a porno film with them in it and starts making all these sexually suggestive questions and comments towards them. Rude gestures. It's it's pretty sweet. He's super fat. He's super sweaty. Oh, yeah. And he's like wearing like this disgusting tank top thing. Super sketchy guy, right? This is German Danny DeVito, right? Okay. All right. I'm going to make the argument that they would have been better off jumping in the car with that rapist than what's about to happen to them. Absolutely. You could have made the argument that if they got in the car, he chopped their heads off and buried them in the woods and made off better and I'd be like yeah absolutely <laughs> yeah a much better fate than what's going to befall these people yep. I just thought that was funny because it's like it's a really weird scene in this movie right it kind of feels out of place like what's what is this what, why is this here what's going on there do you think that was like a red herring or something to make you think that that was the villain or something like that maybe I mean if the only thing it insinuates for me is that this area of Germany is full of creepy guys that just want to rape you or sew your mouth to someone's ass yeah so they decide that they're going to go walk off and try to find help. They're on a road, yet they somehow get lost in the woods? I didn't understand that. Why would you get off the road? The only thing that happened in the car was that the tire blew out. Yep. If the engine exploded or something, then I could understand them being like, oh, we're helpless. Uh-huh. But neither of them refused. They're like, I don't know how to change a tire. I don't know. I'm not even going to bother. Who cares? Whatever. You're in the middle of Germany. You have No one knows you're there in the middle of no- nowhere, right? You're going to learn how to change a tire fast, right? Yeah, it's pretty basic. Yeah, yeah. it's not hard. Not just that, but there's a manual in the, in the glove sure compartment is. that tells you how to do it. Well, it might be in German, though. Yeah, but there's pictures, and you look at the pictograms. <laughs> but it's very basic. We specialize in gender bending on this show, so pretend that you're two girls that have broken down <laughs> on a road. Won't be the first time. 
Pretend that you're two girls that are broken down on a road in the middle of night in Germany. What do you do? All right. Fix a tire. Do whatever it takes. Fix a tire. Right. So you're not because leaving the, one, the car. The one girl. No. Yeah. Yeah. The one girl was way more capable than the other. Correct? For she, sure. She right. was like, let's do it. Let's go. Let's do this. Let's do that. You don't leave the car. That's just stupidity. Yep. You don't leave the car. Right. You know what I would do? I drive on the flat. Yep. Not my car. Who cares? Exactly. So you got to a place that had cell service at least. Yeah. Yeah. I would turn the car around and go back to where we were. And even if it destroyed the rim or whatever, it's like, hey, at least I didn't get raped by that fat weirdo guy, you know? Yeah, I mean, I guess this is one of my main problems with this. They they paint these two girls to be complete imbeciles. Yeah, at every possible decision tree, they pick the worst yeah. outcome every time. But that's indicative of horror movies, right? If people didn't make stupid decisions, we wouldn't have a movie, right? Martin has seen this, but you haven't yet, like Prometheus. That's one of the reasons people hate that movie. Right. It's because people who are supposed to be smart are constantly doing dumb things. But if they didn't do dumb things, there wouldn't be a movie. Prometheus is a good example of that. Maybe not the best example. Maybe I just It's the to... best example. Maybe I just want to defend <laughs> that movie. I really like that movie. Okay, but it's not their decision making. It's like, what? it's, it's the, the decisions they make have to happen, like Joel's saying. If they don't, I don't want to see what's going to happen to them. I'll be upset and I'll probably turn it off. I guess a very easy solution for this is they say, oh, we got a flat. I guess we have to figure out a way to fix this. They go into the trunk. There's no spare tire. The rental car company screwed them. Ah, hmm. Right? Yeah, like, and, then, no and then they're not completely, like, they're, they're not the stupidest people in the world, and I'm still able to root for them. Okay, okay. So it's like, it's, you, you think that there's just an easy fix in the plot that they could have just thrown in there real quick. Yeah, I mean, they just, they kind of go out of their way to make them stupid, helpless women when I don't think they needed to be. They could have been stronger characters. There's a women's lib issue. Yes. These two women are just constantly bickering and crying at Super crybabies. It's so annoying. I hate them. I that's, hate them. That's the point. Uh, yeah, see? The one girl in particular was super over the top being obnoxious. Oh, yeah. The one that was like, I'm not walking anymore. Yeah, I give up. I'm we're, a baby. We're in the middle of the woods and I'm just going to stop walking. At every opportunity, the director is showing you that these people don't deserve to live. They just don't. Like what I found throughout horror movies where there's a series of victims making bad decisions, they want you to not root for them. They want you to be like, these people don't deserve my sympathy. They don't want you to feel bad for them. Well, I think we're at a point in movie watching history where in horror movies, there's a lot of movies out there where you root for the killer, like Freddy, Jason, Michael Myers. Like you're rooting for them. You're not rooting for the victims to escape. You want Freddy to kill them. So this is like a very similar thing. Yeah, it's like catch him, kill him. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Reverend Ketchum in this movie. He's rooting for Reverend Ketchum. That was really the turning point as a society when we started rooting for the killer, right? Yeah. Catch him, kill him. <laughs> Catch him with the fork in the road. All right, so they find this house in the woods, just like in the Rocky Horror in the rain, they see there's a light over in the Frankenstein place and they go over and what do they find? They find Dr. Heater to answer the door in the most monotone, slow syllabic kind of common. He looks at them, he's so happy when they come into his house. He can't contain he's, himself. He's so shocked. It's like, it's like a gift from heaven. I can't believe it. <laughs> Are you alone? Are you tourists? Are you relatives? <laughs> Them being relatives is like really important. Really important. He, he, he almost just comes around and they're like, do your tissues match each other? <laughs> <laughs> no blood type. <laughs> So they, he lets them in. They walk in. So the second they cross that threshold, I'm like, they're dead. I hope they die. I can't wait for them to die. Hurry up and kill them. Yeah, that's exactly how I feel. I don't care about them at all. No? No. But they're supposed to be our heroes, I guess, right? I have a hero already, and that's that's Dr. Laser. I want Dr. Laser to win this one. Dr. Laser. <laughs> 
Okay, so Dr. Laser invites them into the house, sits them down on the couch. They ask to make a phone call to get their car repaired, and he offers them a drink. I would not consume anything that this man hands me under any circumstances ever. Yeah, he's in the kitchen. He's pretending to make a phone call, calling a tow truck. In Somehow German. they speak German. That That's what bothered me about this scene. They're like, well, at least he's calling the tow truck. I'm like, you don't know what he's saying. Well, I mean, all that matters is that he's doing something, right? They just assume that's what he's doing. Yeah. He does say New York, right? He, he could he be did. saying, he could be saying, I'm going to kill these two idiots from New York. Sure, why not? While he's whipping up a drink for the two girls, he drops a little rape drug in their roofies. Yeah. This guy is a, is really a professional with sedatives and anesthetics and everything. He has like 40 different delivery devices for administering sedatives and tranquilizers. He's got a tranq rifle. He's got syringes everywhere through yeah, his house. Drugs. He's just got drawers full of roofies. That's a good point. Like, God forbid he wakes up half asleep and accidentally grabs one out of the drawer and <laughs> kills himself. He goes getting like an uh, Alka-Seltzer. Grabs, yeah. the, grabs the wrong package. <laughs> he just kills himself. Like, I need like three of these. My stomach's really bothering me. His heart stops. <laughs> I like the reveal, though. When they're sitting on the couch, he explains that you're not leaving. No, you can't use the phone. Yeah, I don't like human beings. <laughs> I'm like, okay. <laughs> what? <laughs> well, what an interesting thing to say. <laughs> We're then treated to the one loudmouth girl not submitting to the tranquilizer immediately and he pulls out this really creepy syringe. It's huge and it's full of what I'm assuming is more tranquilizer. The way he holds syringes in this movie for me is awesome. He is creepy as hell the way he just whips these giant syringes out and holds them up. It's almost iconic the way he holds them in the air. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because I watched for a few minutes the behind the scenes part of the DVD and they actually show him being taught how to hold the syringe by a real doctor. So he takes them down to his laboratory and we're shown the trucker from before. He's got a gag in his mouth. It is shown later in the movie that no one can hear anything coming from downstairs. Yeah. Why is that gag in there? Maybe he was biting him or something? He's strapped down. To Tired of hearing that guy yammer on all day about trucking. <laughs> That's all he wants to talk about. He just just wants to talk about his travels all over Europe. He's like, oh, and then I was in Barcelona. (laughs) Well, one of the things I liked about this part of the movie is that before the insane experimentation begins, we get a shot of the doctor just calmly eating his breakfast. It's a nice little shot of him eating breakfast. It was pretty cool. Yeah, Yeah. I liked it a lot. He's very detail and methodical oriented in the way he does everything. Later on in the movie, when he's eating dinner, it's the same thing. I like it. You know what? They did a good job fleshing out this this character, the doctor's character. That's the only character in this movie that actually matters. Yeah. Yeah, so the doctor goes downstairs and he goes up to that trucker guy, wakes him up, and he's like, sorry, my friend, but your tissues, you don't match. I'm going to have to kill you. Nothing personal. It's only business. It's business, <laughs> business as usual. Yeah, so he gives him a lethal... I'm a professional. Yeah, so he gives him a, a lethal hot beef injection and it kills him instantaneously. How much hot beef did he get? One trillion cc's of hot, of beef. hot beef. Yeah. Enough to kill a blue whales. I really liked the kill scene because you could see how much pleasure he was taking as he injected that guy. Yeah. Right? It was good. I'm surprised that he could really handle that much beef in his hands. Well, so the doctor now has a dilemma. He is down a piece of the centipede. He needs a fresh crop. So he leaves and when he comes back, we don't see where he went or what he was doing or what was going on, but he comes back with a Japanese guy over his shoulder. This guy must be really strong. Yeah. 
throw a guy over your shoulder like that. Just start yeah. walking around with him. So this guy's superhuman strength at this point, right? Yep. So after this, we get my favorite scene in this entire movie where the doctor gives a little slideshow presentation to his victims. So we have two American girls to the left and on the right is our Japanese guy. Japanese guy doesn't understand anything. He doesn't speak English, doesn't speak German. He only speaks Japanese. So I'm going to make the argument that he has the worst of it right. of all what's going on. Yeah. Because he just doesn't know what the hell is happening. No one's telling him anything. I'd make the argument that the girls in this particular scene have it a lot worse than the Japanese guy. I'd say ignorance. Ignorance, ignorance is bliss? Is bliss when someone's explaining that you're going to be eating poo and then you're going to die. So the doctor is having a little slash of presentation. We come to find out that he is the world's preeminent Siamese twin extractor surgeon guy. But he's tired of destroying things. He wants to put something together. Build a little piece of art. He wants to create, in his words, he want, he needs to create. It's at this point in the movie that you realize that this guy has a pretty strong god complex, which is shown later on in the movie and in one of my, again, another great scene. So He's showing these really rudimentary drawings. You would think he'd be a better artist, actually, if he's a surgeon. But Joel, how did they, uh, how did he uh, draw these people? How did he explain <laughs> the one <laughs> intestinal track? Okay, so for those of you who don't know what a human centipede is, those two people out there that don't know what this movie is. That are blessed. Yeah. <laughs> what a gorgeous gift. <laughs> Well, here it is. Open your mind's eye. Rip that third eye open. And uh, try to imagine this in your mind. So this is what a human centipede is. He is going to take these three people. He's going to cut the ligaments in their kneecaps, completely sever them so they can never bend their knees ever again. They're going to be stuck on all fours for the rest of their lives. And there's going to be guy number one. And person number two is going to have their mouth sewed to the anus of the person in front. And the same thing's going to happen to the guy in the back. So three people, ass to mouth, ass to mouth, and they're going to be connected by one gastrointestinal tract. So Kevin, what does that mean? What does that entail? That means the person in the lead is going to poop down the throat of the person behind them, who's then going to digest that poop, poop into the third person's mouth, who will then digest and then poop. What we need is more people to make a perfect circle <laughs> and close this link. <laughs> Oh, man. Would it just keep going for infinity? <laughs> yeah, no. Would, would it eventually <laughs> deteriorate away? <laughs> no, seriously. Would it eventually just be consumed completely? Yes. With some of what you These people excrete, die from infections. This is stupid. Some of what you excrete is undigestible, correct? Yes. Therefore, it could, it could continue forever. If you could hypothetically digest fecal material, yes, it would go away. <laughs> There would just be an undigestible portion of it, and it would there'd be no more content for their bodies to absorb, and it would just end. But they, these people are going to die from infection, from eating fecal matter, like with wounds that are open in their face? Like, come on. Yeah, so there you go. That's the concept of what a human centipede is, and that is what sold everybody on this movie. Just the mere concept, just me telling you what it is. This is what a human centipede is. That grosses people out. Just that concept alone. But secretly excites everybody. Everyone. Everybody went to go see this thing. But right... That's the strongest thing about this movie. The concept. That's it. So, I mean, when this movie is all said and done, I mean, we have to ask ourselves a question. Does the movie live up to this concept? Because granted, this is an excellent concept 
completely and wholly original. I think this is a terrible idea. How so? You don't have an original it is just because it's it's never been done before doesn't mean it should have been done at all. You are the one who constantly, constantly says the number one thing I want out of a movie. I want to see something I've never seen before. The box, five out of five. I've never seen that before. That's the exact quote with that exact inflection. <laughs> Sounds like he was lobotomized. <laughs> Refute that. because you like Bizarro. You say these things. You've said that before. Yeah, but it's supposed to be good. <laughs> this is just disgusting. This is subjectively good to me. I find this disgusting. Do you? Reprehensible? Yeah. I never said it wasn't disgusting. What would your wife say about this? Oh, man. I'm just really glad I could watch this when she wasn't around. Would she be filing for divorce papers? Yeah, that's exactly what would happen. Okay, so these girls find out that they're going to get turned into the human centipede for sequence. <laughs> They're not okay with it, understandably. They're going to do whatever they can to escape, and they do. The more uh, vocal girl is able to escape instead of running away and seeking the police, a person with a gun, anyone to help her. She runs back downstairs to drag her unconscious friend up the stairs, through the house, onto the lawn, only to be shot by Dr. Laser with a tranquilizer gun. Yeah, I mean, she had a clear choice here. She had a way out, and it was either she can escape that house, go get help, or try to drag her 120 pound friend of dead weight upstairs out of the house. Like, how was she ever going to get away dragging her friend? She wasn't going to. Maybe she didn't understand that. I... I don't really get it. it. It doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, I understand that when you're in a situation like that, you're not thinking clearly, I guess. But then again, you probably would just be thinking, I gotta get out of here, gotta get out of here, gotta get out of here, right? Yeah, and you know what, not, though? It's not, not even that. It wasn't a rush decision, right? Like, she stopped. She thought about she it. She looked at the open window, turned back, and looked down the hall. Like, she thought about it, and she made this completely wrong decision. Yeah, you gotta crunch the numbers. You're like, either you both stay and you both die, or I leave and my friend might die, but at least... I can get help and maybe there's a much greater possibility that we'll both get out of this okay. During this whole uh, attempt at escape, he tells the girl, the more powerful girl that did escape from the bed, he says, you're going to pay for this. You're going to be the middle. That's the worst piece of all. Is it? Is is that the worst piece? Absolutely. How is that not the worst piece? You still got somebody on your ass. It's kind of nice. It's not nice. I guess it's the worst piece because you get surgery on the front and the back, whereas opposed to the girl at the end only gets surgery on the front. Yeah. The Japanese, you, you you guys can agree that the Japanese man by far has the best place on that. Oh, yeah, he's yeah. the head of the centipede. And by the way, did you know that the Japanese have great strength when backed into a corner? <laughs> I, I didn't before this movie. He said it like 50 times and I loved it. He said it like once. 50 times. I loved it every time he said it. <laughs> he said it once. <laughs> He said it once. So anyway, so she's dragging her friend out the window. All of a sudden, she gets shot with a trank dart. Of course, we knew this was going to happen. There was no way she's going to get away with this. And then from there, it's just, uh, she wakes up. Part of that first sequence. There it is. We're 40-something minutes in, mid-late 40-something minutes, and we have finally received the first, first sequence. I remember when we watched this movie together, oh, so many years ago, I thought that the surgery scene was the most disturbing part of this entire movie. Y- yeah. Watching it now, I yawned really loud and... <laughs> Burped. What does that? What does that say about us? Just I guess 
us as moviegoers, as a society, that we're so... I'm so desensitized. I was completely and totally desensitized while I was watching this movie. It bothered me a little bit. Really? Yeah. But I guess it's because I knew what I was getting myself into. Whereas you still had the anticipation of like, what's going to happen next? I don't know. It was more like, oh God, what's going to happen next? Exactly. I mean, they're showing him operate on these people and it's not... He's cutting into their skin like he's cutting a pumpkin pie. Yeah. Yeah. Delicious. I'm so hungry. Hey, you guys want to get some pumpkin pie after this? Absolutely. You have no idea how badly I want to go right now and get my pumpkin pie. (laughs) Okay, so... the, the the centipede is completed and we get a we get a cutscene where Dr. Laser is in a suit and he's getting the glass replaced. This is laughable for me because it looks like he got all dressed up to have these people replace a window. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm like, wow, man, it's I mean, they're guests, I guess, at your house, but they're just replacing a window. <laughs> But no, he got dressed up because he is going to have the greatest unveiling of his master creation in his beautifully furnished living room. This is a phenomenal scene. I thought the lighting in this scene was really good. Everything is orange. Right. Orange tinted and the lights. Like there's a shot with with the doctor standing in front of the window with this orange light bloom just completely encases him in light. That looks really good. Good stuff. They put the centipede on display here and he starts walking around. How did he react to the centipede? I mean, it was such a beautiful scene sight. He, he couldn't contain his joy. He grabs a mirror. He starts showing them how beautiful <laughs> they look as the centipede. Yeah. And then he just breaks down. He, he weeps. His his, his joy is, is immeasurable. I, I've never in my life been that happy. Maybe someday. Maybe. When you make your own centipede. Oh, <laughs> oh my centipede. He puts the mirror up to the ceiling, starts kissing his reflection and screams, yes, I did it. <laughs> 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 this this, this scene was triumphant. <laughs> well, I mean, this is it. We get our first shot of the human centipede. Kevin, what do you think since this is your first time seeing it? I was surprised how early this happened. I was expecting a lot of buildup and then this be like the shocking end of the movie. So the fact that this happened pretty much right in the middle was pretty shocking to me. I didn't know where we were going to go from here. That's actually a pretty good point. We Maybe we do see too much of this thing. Maybe it would have been better if we didn't get too many shots of it. I don't know. I enjoy where it came in. For me, this is like a turning point in this movie's plot and it shows his interaction with this fictitious thing that I I enjoyed it especially like the subjective treating them like a dog and I I like that stuff it becomes less of a horror movie I think once you see this thing exactly once it's done and it becomes kind of laughable at times after this I I have that exact note I'm like is this supposed to be scary or funny and yeah I think that's one of my problems with this movie when we saw this way back when I remember riding the wave of internet hype and I was expecting this to be the most disgusting thing I'd ever seen in my entire life that I'd be vomiting through from beginning to end. And you were happy with that. You were like, I can't wait. I cannot wait. Like, I remember like, like just anticipating like, oh God, what's going to happen? Oh, what's going to happen next? But then we get this reveal of the centipede and we don't really get to see it. Not really, because they do these smoke and mirrors tricks to make you think like they're connected, but like their faces and their butts are all bandaged up. So you don't really get to see the full effect of them being conjoined. Yeah. It softens the blow, which I guess is a good thing for some people, but it doesn't deliver on its insane promises that we were going to get. They could have gone two ways here, right? They could go the way they went or... NC-17? They could have waited 
waited till the very end and then had it the big reveal been the end basically and had it been that disgusting shot that you apparently were dying for well that's what I was led to believe was gonna happen that's what I thought I was gonna get I remember being upset that I had to see them with bandages around their heads and, and ass yeah it's a bit of a cheat I don't know I was pleased with it I, I didn't want to see what you were looking for I mean I mean I don't know what that says about me that I want to see you're a sick freak yeah I'm a twisted freak <laughs> You're a psycho sick lunatic. Yeah. The way the surgery is described, they're cutting their mouths off and attaching it to the intestinal tract of this other person and sewing it together. That's got to be, I mean, this is going to sound disgusting. That's going to be awesome looking though. No, terrible. Not awesome. Terribly great looking. They're putting this giant, I guess for lack of a better word, it's like a tiger cage, right? It's upstairs in his living room. They're placed in there. He has all these IVs set up upstairs. He's now getting them ready to be integrated into his house as some kind of pet. Yeah, this is where it takes just like a, a laugh turn. I mean, he starts treating them like a puppy where he's trying to get them to walk, trying to get them to carry a newspaper to him, fetch his slippers. What's happening here? Like, I thought he like, he, he hates humanity, wants to punish them, but then it becomes a, he's I want lo- I want a man's best friend. I want, I'm going to turn people well, into he, a dog. He made the, the first centipede were three dogs, so he wants to recreate that. And why not? He says he hates human beings and he is robbing them of their humanity by turning them into this thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's super, it's just weird. It's not scary. It's just weird at this point. And that's when it becomes laughable. Okay, so he meticulously sets up his dinner. He has, he's, he's going to feed them their dinner as well. And he feeds it to them in a dog bowl. And this is after he has them do all of those dog related tricks and stuff in his backyard. And so they're, they're, they're eating. And the entire time I'm watching him eat this sloppy red <laughs> thing out of a dog bowl. And I'm like... That's got to come out, bro. <laughs> That's coming out. All right. <laughs> yeah, that Japanese guy was wolfing it down. He was Housing super it. hungry. And he, even at one point, he turns around and, he and looks. looks He's like, sorry. Yeah, I need to eat. I'm, I'm starving. I'm hungry. I'll feed you soon. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> We're given probably the greatest scene in all of cinema, save Splice. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I can think of I can think of only one scene better, and that was that was the sex scene in Splice. That's the only scene in mo- in cinema history that's better than this one. They go out into the yard. The camera is put at Worm's eye view, and he's getting ready to blow. Man, he ate that dog food, and it's gotta go. Yeah, one way or another, it's coming out. Get ready. The the, the train's pulling in. So I mean, you can tell that he kind of doesn't want to do it, but th- maybe he put laxatives in there. I don't know what he did. Yeah, he makes reference to giving them laxative at one point. He does. Yeah, sorry, bro. The girl, she is not happy about this at all. I remember watching this with you, Joel, and I was thinking like, oh, man, this is going to be insane. It's just going <laughs> to explode out the side of her yeah, mouth. The, the stitches in her mouth are going to explode and <laughs> diarrhea is going to splatter everywhere. It's going to be insane. In my head, that's what I made this out to be because that's what the internet made this out no, to that's be. No, yeah, that is what we were told was going to happen. Like, it's going to be the foulest thing ever. All you get is this 30 millisecond 30 scene. millisecond where she's kind of making noises and it's maybe it's not really even insinuated that it goes into her mouth because her mouth her cheeks don't puff out or anything that's no. like that's what i wanted to happen it, yeah because that would at least insinuate that something's going in there no i remember distinctly that when we saw this the first time when we was over i was like wait a minute i thought they were supposed to a poo poo eating scene in this movie <laughs> i was but, confused too yeah like i was like wait a minute we didn't get that i felt cheated but it turns out it's in there but it just happened so fast i didn't even notice it like it just came and went a blank Kevin, what do you think of the scene? I think you're a sick, twisted freak. <laughs> hey, man, I had these expectations set up by the internet, and the internet has never lied to me once. 
And I was demanding it to live up to my expectations. Yeah, I mean, this is disgusting. I didn't miss it. I knew it was happening the whole time. But I will say that Dr. Frankenfurter. Frankenfurter. Dr. Laser. The doctor's reaction to this happening. It was, he was, he was at a 10 out of 10. I mean, he was dancing around. He was. Feed her. He's like, feed her. His reaction was the best part of this scene. This it's what it's what makes this scene. But that's what made it hilarious. Like I started laughing. That's not what I don't think that's what they were intending. Yeah, with they this. wanted you to be like, oh God, right? And disgusted. And, I, and what was actually what was happening was disgusting, but his reaction was just so funny that it, it really it? overshadowed what was really happening. Well, after this scene, we get a shot of the doctor doing a little impromptu physical on the human centipede. The Japanese guy is super constipated. The girl in the middle, she's not feeling so hot. The girl at the end, though, she's having some trouble. Yeah, it looks like she's dying from a infection in her mouth. Yeah, the doctor, like, pushes his finger, just jabs her in the face, and just pus starts oozing out of her wounds. It's like, whew, this not look good. This is probably the grossest part of the movie. That's a good point. Yeah, he get, he takes a little sniff of it. And it, it looks like it smelled real bad, right? Yeah, so you're gonna die, he says. <laughs> you are gonna die. I'm sorry. Your face is deteriorating. It's decroating right in front of you. <laughs> well, this scene begs the question, okay? One of the big issues with them being a centipede and they can't escape is because there's this sp- spiral staircase that seems to be the only way in and out of this basement laboratory. But we very clearly see them in multiple parts of the house. They're upstairs, they're downstairs, they're here, they're there. The doctor puts them on top of this gurney table thing. How is he moving them around? I don't know and they don't show it. They're too heavy for him to lift. That's just a Fact. It'd be impossible to lift because they'd, they'd tear the stitches off. Right. It doesn't make any sense. I, th- I guess you're just not really supposed to get, think about that. And this is 100% medically accurate. The surgery is 100% medically accurate. Architecturally accurate. 100%. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was the uh, disclaimer. This is 100% architecturally inaccurate. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, this uh, this is lazy again, right? They don't offer an explanation for something that's very easy. All they had to do is put a little like elevator. elevator that he has the key for around his neck or something like that. They can't get to. Pretty simple, but they don't bother to take time to explain. Yeah, because I definitely remember thinking that the first time we saw this movie. It, it's an issue because they can't get out because there's this bizarre s- spiral staircase, but weren't they just upstairs five seconds ago? Yeah, they got down there somehow. Yeah, and the one scene early on when he's got them out in the yard, he's like, walk. I want you to walk. Well, how did they get out in the yard to begin with? They had to have walked. So, of course, detectives are going to show up and apparently they've questioned everyone in the neighborhood and their investigation has led them to Dr. Laser's house. Yeah, the, the doctor was pretty calm and methodical up to this point in the movie. That all goes flying out the window when these cops show up. Yeah. He's pretty good for a while and then when they start asking about the cellar, he goes nuts and loses his cool. Yeah, way to keep the suspicion levels down. Good job. I mean, he's insane. You totally fooled them. They'll never... (laughs) never get it. Like, he's insane. He apologizes after he starts threatening them, saying that they're going to go to court. And he's like, oh, I'm sorry. I haven't slept a lot. It's like, all right, you're acting really crazy. He tries to give them some roofies. Yeah, drink this. Drink, drink, drink. Chug, chug, chug. <laughs> Shows a drink in their faces, but they're not having it. Yeah, the cop judo chops his hand. I mean, the, the, well, the one guy the one guy drinks it, right? He does, yes. The other guy, he seems to be the smarter one. He's like, ah. 
I don't know if I'm going to drink that. Luckily for us, these cops are pretty good. They're not the standard cops from a horror movie who don't know what's going on in these situations. And they can tell he's a creep. They're like, we're going to get a warrant. We're going to come back here in like 15 minutes and we're going to bust your ass. But when the cops leave, the doctor goes back downstairs to take a look at his centipede. And they manage to escape and grab a scalpel. And the Japanese guy stabs the doctor in the foot and the shins. And he takes a huge bite out of his neck like he's a vampire or something and they run off they they force themselves up the spiral staircase real bloody and painful the way it looks yep they're spiraling out yeah keep going spiral out and they make it to the upstairs and the doctor he's kind of been crippled just like them so the doctor he's crawling around after them they... Ken, would you say that he's crawling in his skin those wounds <laughs> he will not heal, heal. <laughs> the way the way that they're chasing each other around the house is comedic. There's no other way to describe it. No, it's a yeah, joke. yeah, it's dumb. It's just it's funny. It's so stupid. It's funny. The girl, the girl in the middle, is directing the head sentence. Where, uh, where to go? What is the best way to escape? He's about to head for the door, and she redirects him, thinking that the window has not been replaced yet. They get to the room. This giant wall of glass has been replaced. Doctor Laser is on their heels, man. He's coming quick. The Japanese man is going to try and shatter the glass, get through. Not happening. He turns around, drops this metal lamp, and has a pretty good, pretty good soliloquy, pretty, pretty good line delivery. He he's like, "Are you God?" <laughs> I lived a self-centered life. He just has this confession, says that this is part of his punishment, and, you know, bonsai, he does it. He commits seppuku, I guess. Yeah, grabs a glass shard and slashes his own throat, which I thought was crazy because he was right there at the finish line. Yeah, I didn't understand this at all. This is the best way to get back at this doctor, though, right? By to destroy the centipede? Yeah, to destroy the centipede and take control out of his hands, because that's what he craves most, is control over this thing. He wants this thing to be subservient to him. I would have taken that lamp and bust his head. The cops show up again. They have this awful looking gunfight. When the doctor shoots his gun, like the muzzle flash looks like it was done in MS Paint or something. <laughs> it's terrible looking. But yeah, the cops and the doctor end up killing each other. Everyone's dead, with the exception of the girl in the middle of the centipede. So she's left to her horrible fate. To God knows what will happen to her. I think she's going to live. I, I honestly think that she's going to make it out alive. Because the authorities know that those cops are there. Yeah, someone will go looking for so, the cops. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, within the hour, someone's going to come looking for those cops. Within the day. At, at least within the year, someone's looking for those cops. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Within the, the decade, someone's going to come get them. So yeah, this, that's it. That's the human centipede first sequence. Okay, let's find out what the real critics had to say about this movie. The star rating system is unsuited to this film. Is the movie good? Is it bad? Does it matter? It is what it is and occupies a world where the stars don't shine. Roger Ebert, Chicago Sun-Times. There are terrible movies and there are loathsome movies. And then there's that rare breed so idiotic, exploitative, and sickening, one wishes they could be scrubbed from memory. Michael Ordonia, Los Angeles Times. And finally, this horror show from Dutch director Tom Six will be heaven for devotees of four-star torture porn and zero-star hell for everyone else. Peter Travers, Rolling Stone. Okay, guys, this movie currently holds a 50% on Rotten Tomatoes, but is it really that bad? No, I don't think this movie is that terrible. It's If you're looking for a B-movie and you're in a room together with a bunch of your friends, this movie would be fun. It, it would be funny, that's for sure. The, and it's shot well. There's no story, and so it's, it's not something from like a, a character development standpoint that's 
something that, that's good or entertaining. But if you're with a group of people, you would probably enjoy this. This is, if you had nothing to do and you're just BSing, probably fun. I'm going to give it 65. I mean, I'd, I'd say it's probably 65% around there on the Rotten Tomato scale. I'm going to give it a three out of five stars. Yeah, for me, this is a tough one. I think I'm going to give this a two out of five. I don't know if it is. Yeah, it's that bad because it's it's like 50%. It's really not that bad. And I'm going to say it's a two out of five, which isn't terrible either. But I guess I went into this expecting it to be super gross and disgusting and hating it because of that. And it wasn't any of those things. They tried to make an artsy movie, which they did on some level. I mean, this just shot really well. I think the acting by the doctor is, is really good. But it's just kind of a disgusting thing to have a movie based on. It's just kind of weird. This movie is just really super weird for me. Although I will say that it's no dog tooth. Hmm. Interesting. Which Interesting. Is still takes the case is the weirdest, most disgusting movie I've ever seen. Okay, as for me, it's really that bad. Hmm. I probably gave it a one when we first saw it. I don't even remember. But, uh, you know, I had a better time with it. Like, I knew what to expect. I just, like, went with the flow and I laughed at a couple things. I'm going to give this the lightest possible three out of five. Like, if I could give it a 2.5, I would, but I can't. So right at the cusp of a, of a super rock bottom three. And just like you said, like you're expecting this to be the super grotesque movie. I hear that the second one remedies that in a big, 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 big way. And it's like the most disgusting thing ever made. According, thing, to, according to who? The internet? Yeah, according to the internet. So, <laughs> and that's never led me astray ever. According to who you talk to, they'll say that the sequel to this is either an awesome movie or the biggest piece of crap you'd ever seen in your life. So maybe that's worth exploring at some point. I don't know. It's on. It's on instant. Yeah, let's watch it right now. Yeah, let's load it up. Okay, let's read some listener mail. On a mountain of skulls in the castle of pain, I sat... On a throne of blood, what was will be, what is will be no more. Now is the season of evil. Happy Halloween. (laughs) That was from Gunny. It's pretty good. Pretty good. Gunny wants to know, my question is, which is more fair if you three were forced into a human centipede, that you go in the order you appeared on the podcast or in the reverse order? Reverse. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, we're doing reverse order here. (laughs) You want to be in the back? Absolutely. No, I would be in the back, I guess, if it did reverse order. Yeah. Am I in the middle? You're no always what? in the middle, no I'm matter always what. always in the middle. Now, Sorry. we're doing seniority rules. I get to be the head centipede. I'll fight you for it. I'm still yeah? in the middle. <laughs> yeah. Have fun. <laughs> Nick from London writes in and says, I feel I need to intervene here as I know a bit more about this movie than I care to. He's talking about Return to Oz. My maternal grandmother is something of an Ozophile, and in fact, the oldest book I possess is a 1920s hardback reprint of The Scarecrow of Oz, and that she gave me as a child. I've read at least 20 Oz books. There are 40 canonical ones published between 1900 and 1950, and I can say, looking back, that they do not pass adolescence well. L. Frank Baum designed Oz as a happy world that kids could escape to rather than a place with any actual danger or conflict. Most of the darkness in The Wizard of Oz and this movie was inserted by the filmmakers. Compared to those, the books are positively fluffy. Still, it is odd how you draw so many comparisons with the never-ending story when so many of the characters and story elements are taken straight from the books. Even the flight of the gump, which you specifically targeted, was taken 
taken from the second book, while TikTok is from book three. Incidentally, TikTok is regarded by some as the earliest example of a true robot in fiction. Ozma also appears in the second book, although weirdly, instead of being trapped in a mirror, she was turned into a boy as a baby and then changed back as a preteen, something which, even as a kid, I found a bit creepy. All the scenes involving people turning into stone were invented for the movie, including the Gnome King, N-O-M, who in the original books was just a gnome. Yes, that's how Baum spelt. There you go, Kevin. Little insight. My comparison to Neverending Story and the flight scene was the fact that it was shot almost the same way and the puppet, like their eyes and everything was the same. It wasn't necessarily the material itself. It was more the way the movie portrayed it. Right. It, it, uh, same with me. I wasn't comparing it to the actual story or the material. I was. It, it was just the way that it was represented on film. It is like that front to back, a little bit above the character camera angle that yeah. they use in Neverending Story. It's it's almost identical. Greg writes in, Kevin, this is uh, might be interesting to you. Greg again, giving you an update on the list of movies that you recommended for me on my quest for one movie a day this year. Oh, cool. This time I watched King of Kong, A Fistful of Quarters. Good choice. I do not know when you will get to this email, but I do know by the time you read it, I will be well past the 300 days and on my way to 366 movies. Wow, a lot of movies. That's a lot of movies. That's a good choice. That's an awesome movie. Yeah. So yeah, he sent me a link to his review. So I'll, I'll post it online. Nick in Arizona writes in and says, Hey guys, really dig your show. I see that when reading critic reviews, you often read quotes from film critic Roger Ebert. I know this guy is a renowned critic, but have you ever seen the atrocious movie he made called Beyond the Valley of the Dolls? I am going to guess that you haven't since you are still alive. Long story short, the only thing this tubby bitch is qualified to be reviewing is the new Cool Ranch Dorito flavor. <laughs> am I right? <laughs> Anyway, I love the show, guys. You're doing God's work. Wow. That's, that's dumb, high dumb. praise. We're doing his divine will. <laughs> well, what do you think of Ebert? We've seen clips of, of his movie, Valley of the Dolls. That's it, about it. That's all we, I've ever seen. Yeah, I, I, I've never I, even seen a clip. I've only seen clips of it. It was in Heckler. It. Yeah. I don't remember. It, it looked atrocious. I See, like, that's, that's where there's a problem. Like, does someone have to create material to understand an aesthetic truth about nope. movies? Nope. The answer's no. Absolutely not. I don't have to be the best musician to appreciate good music. There's a universal objective aesthetic to certain types of art. He just doesn't like Ebert. That's the problem. People hate this guy. They really do. Like, I like to watch Siskel and Ebert clips on YouTube. There's a million of them on there. They know what they're doing. Yeah, they're fun to watch those old clips. But if you read the comments section, it's just people going wild hating on Ebert. Why? I don't don't get it. He's he's a smart guy and he does very good critiquing on the movies, in my opinion. I mean, he's a good writer. Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's why we often will go to him for the quotes because he has some of the best quotes. He's real, real witty. His quips. Yeah, a little insight into the world. He has that bad. The reviewers I pick, they're almost always taken from the cream of the crop on Ron Tomatoes. And he's almost always in there. And he almost always says something that's worthy. I pick the ones who are the most interesting sounding or the most like scathing or whatever. So yeah, he comes up a lot. And plus, he's a super famous critic. Everybody knows who he is. Yeah. Who's the guy from Real Views? James. James Berardinelli. James Berardinelli, bro. He's got some That's That guy, he's ones. number two. He's amazing. Yeah, he's good. He's, in, in my opinion, he's funnier. Oh, yeah, you know what? He's yeah. number one. He's a number he, one. He's yeah. the best. He's yep. the best. James he's Berardinelli. He's the best reviewer ever. From Real Views? Oh, God. <laughs> okay, Spencer writes in and says, Hey, guys, I couldn't help but notice that you use a five-star rating system while Ron Tomatoes uses a percentage system. How do you justify the discrepancy? Justify it. Also, have any of you ever had a nickname? I think the five-star... <laughs> <laughs> 
Marge just made this regal hand gesture before he spoke. <laughs> the the five star rating system we cover in depth. I don't remember which episode. Over and over. Yeah, over, over and over again. Like which which episode do you think is a, the best description of why we chose the five star rating? System? Long story short, it was the rating system we used in our personal lives before the podcast began. Correct. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Before Rotten Tomatoes was even a glimmer in our eyes. That insinuates that that we created. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, our rating system is based on Netflix five star ratings. That was the genesis of it in the beginning, anyway. It's since spiraled off. Our its rating own system predates Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, you're right. It predates everything. It's the first rating system. We invented ratings. Period. <laughs> That's true. What about nicknames? I have nicknames at work. They're all based on my last name. Really? Yeah. That sounds awful. Are they awful? They're kind of funny. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, we had like, it was all, in high school, we would just call each other by our last name. Yeah. If that counts as a nickname. I don't think it does. No, that's, I, most guys do that, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think I think all guys do that. You were fart master general <laughs> in high school? That was my rank <laughs> that I graduated with. <laughs> You have ranks. Uh, all right, whatever. Okay, and finally, Joe writes in and says, Hello, Kevin, Joel, and Martin. Given your love of Dwayne The Rock Johnson and Joel's love of the wrestling stable, the job squad, pin me, pay me, I'm going to assume that the three of you were all wrestling fans during the Attitude Era of the <laughs> late 90s and early 2000s. And what was there not to like about the WWF and WCW back in the day? Babes, Bucks, they had it all. <laughs> Not only did wrestling feature some of the finest cuts of beef ever to appear on television screen, but it also featured, yes, that bad's favorite thing of all time, the double cross. One single episode of Raw is War or WCW Nitro could easily feature about 12 trillion double crosses. Let's see National Treasure or the A-Team try to top that. Anyway, I was wondering which wrestlers from that era were you per- were your personal favorites. Also, which NWO did you guys align yourself with? Martin and Kevin strike me as the NWO Wolfpack men, as and Joel seems like he was more of a classic black and white NWO guy. Thanks for the last guys. Well, Attitude Era wrestlers, what are your thoughts on this issue? I love The Rock, man. I mean, my love of The Rock began then. People who are young today, who are like in high school now, they don't understand like how pervasive that era in wrestling was. Do you remember being in high school and guys would just yell down the hallway? Oh, yeah. You smell what the wrestling is. They'd yell that crap back yeah. and forth all day long. Non-stop wrestling references from Everybody every guy it. in high school. Everybody Every guy. It. Every guy. It was it was awesome. I remember sitting in class and somebody called our teacher a jabroni. <laughs> expulsion, right? You're out of here. I mean, the, the teacher didn't get it, and just everybody erupted in laughter. It was like, like he might as well just dismiss class, because no one was learning anything that day. Just leave. Oh, it was great. I remember the girls openly complaining about the non-stop <laughs> yes. wrestling references. Yep. I distinctly remember them, like, would you stop with the 
I remember people like putting wrestling moves on people. Oh, there was yeah. that time, the one kid, he gave a stole going son or somebody in the gym class. <laughs> <laughs> and he like really messed them up. <laughs> Oh. We both agree that we saw at least 50 DX chops per oh. hour oh, yeah. during class, oh, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. That was nonstop. <laughs> <laughs> How 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 often were arguments in class between friends settled with a suck it DX <laughs> You know what? Yeah, fireworks would explode every time we did it. Like it was serious business. Like that was like it was everywhere. It just people who weren't around at the time, they just don't get it. You don't understand. Like nope. it was a big, big deal. Like wrestling was on the decline. Like it was gonna go extinct, but because like Stone Cold and The Rock showed up. They single-handedly they saved it. They saved it. They, they turned it into like the number one phenomenon yeah. of the era. Yeah, and we we ate it up. We ate it up. Oh, I yeah. watched Monday Night Raw all the time. Every Monday night through high school. Yeah, it was awesome, right? Yeah, yeah. War, dude. Raw is war. All right. <laughs> <laughs> we all agree that Raw is war. I mean, we we could all say that we love The Rock as yeah. our favorite wrestler, yeah. but to pick somebody different, I love Mick Foley, Mankind. He yeah. was. Phenomenal. Phenomenal! The Hell in the Cell mm-hmm. when he almost when he got thrown off and almost died. Yeah, incredible. I remember loving Valvinus. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I just cannot get enough Valvinus. When I I made myself in the wrestling games. Yeah, he his entrance music was always my music. Oh, there you go. You didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> ah man, what what a topic. What, you know what rhymes with Venus? <laughs> There you go, there you go. Yeah, I also dabbled in a little ECW at the time, but I'm not going to get into that right now. You know, I never bothered watching WCW. I, I have no idea who was in the NWO or whatever. Yeah, I no I clue. Either. I do, actually, and he was right to guess that I was a Wolfpack fan. Yeah. I, I used to go around school giving the Wolfpack, ow, like high five to my friends. That was like a big, oh God, it was so stupid. That wasn't big in our, no, our school. Okay, thanks for those emails, guys. If you want to contact us, you can reach us at yeah, it's that bad at gmail.com. Now it's time for the question of the week. What was your favorite WWE wrestler? <laughs> That's a legit question. <laughs> Because uh, I was, I mean, I had five in queue to say in case he was like, I can't say Valvina. So I was like, I'll buff, buff Bagwell then. Like, I can't say Buff Bagwell. Uh, Dean Malenko. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this is question of the week. What is the grossest movie you've ever seen? Head on over to yesthatbad.com. Leave a comment on this episode's page with your answer. Okay, now it's time to announce next week's movie. We're returning to the world of Colin Farrow with a little movie I like to call S period W period A period T period. No one calls it. That's how you pronounce it, right? Yeah, that's that's correct. SWAT. Tune in next week when we'll be watching Special Weapons and Tactics. That's right. You love this movie, right? Colin Farrow? You just love Colin Farrow and anything he's in, right? You know it. You almost like attacked him with that microphone. (laughs) You actually hit my microphone. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. space, bro. Okay, tune in next week when we'll be watching SWAT. Okay, that's for listening to the show if you like what you've heard please consider subscribing we have a new episode every Tuesday please help spread the word of the show to all your friends by liking us on Facebook facebook.com slash yeah it's that bad you can follow us on Twitter at yeah it's bad you can follow Martin at yeah it's Martin you can follow Kevin at yeah it's Kevin you can listen to the show on all your social media devices <laughs> <laughs> your Facebook phone yeah, yeah. Your, your Twitter machine <laughs> 
don't listen to us on your Twitter machine. <laughs> <laughs> and you can listen to the show on all your mobile devices via Stitcher. You can get that at Stitcher.com. And don't forget, you can still get our premium podcasts, Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull and Avatar, The Last Airbender. You can get that at yeahitsthatbad.bandcamp.com. Oh, hey, this signals the end of our Halloween spooky movie season. If anybody on the Eastern Seaboard is even still alive to listen to this podcast, congratulations, you've made it. Yeah, happy Halloween! Happy Halloween! If this can go up, if we're not out of no power. We're not floating in a ditch somewhere (laughs) dead. Well, right? I mean, essentially, that's what the news is telling us, right? That we're all just going to die? There's a 95% chance we're all going to be dead by Tuesday. Well, see you then, folks. Happy Halloween! We do this by age. Oh, okay. Oldest first. <laughs> I'm in the back now? <laughs> Youngest first. Now I'm in the front. That never happens. First is the worst, okay? <laughs> On this situation. Second is the best. Now, this Third situation. is the one with the hairy chest, that, the treasure chest, depending on who you're talking That was to. not made to describe the human safety. <laughs> that rhyme was specifically tailored for the human safety. <laughs> A to M connoisseurs. Love that.